Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, independent curator and host of this art talk show and an art podcast, too. Today, we're streaming live on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. To catch you up, we're just home from a monumental field expedition. The trip was so awesome, we gave it a name, Destination Fresh Art 2017. We captured field recordings in Italy, Greece, Norway, Germany, and France. And we called in to talk to John Kenyer, Mr. Jolt himself, every couple of weeks to talk about where we were. And special shows featuring sound experiences at the Venice Art Biennale in Norway and in Berlin. Now we're going to set the stage for the subject of today's Fresh Art International show on Jolt Radio, and we'll be featuring conversations with some of South Florida's culture producers. With me in the studio are Neil Ramsey. Good morning. Good morning. Neil is the director and programming mind behind what's going on at Arts Up in Fat Village, Arts District that's in Fort Lauderdale. Also with me is Ingrid Schindel. She's the director of IS Projects, a small press with big ideas based also in Fat Village. To set the stage, let's listen to a conversation I recorded a few months ago with artist Sharon Loudon. We're talking about Sharon's newest book, Artist as Culture Producer. I think that's what our topic today is really all about. So unless you're driving, close your eyes and imagine that you're caught up in the crazy blitz of Miami Art Week and longing for a meaningful conversation. Today we take you inside the tent of the Untitled Art Fair during Miami Art Week 2016 to meet Sharon Loudon, artist and educator, and Rog Vartanian, co-founder and editor-in-chief of the online art publication Hyperallergic. We're surrounded by more than 100 gallery displays designed to lure art collectors to acquire the work of artists from around the world. Our conversation is about Sharon Loudon's newest book, The Artist as Culture Producer. Rog Vartanian wrote the foreword. Forty visual artists contributed essays to the 400-page publication. What does it mean for an artist to be a culture producer? Sharon Loudon had a specific idea in mind when selecting these contributors. I wanted to talk about how artists not only have a practice in their studios, they do projects that are not only in the market as we're seeing here today, and they also extend themselves out into the public realm in many different ways. The artists I chose are people who are very generous. They create communities. They do projects that are not only in the market, but then they also extend themselves out into the public realm in many different ways. You're offering the inside story, the, the roots, the impetus, the inspiration, and the giving that's part of being an artist that a lot of people don't understand. You know, by that artist as culture producer, that's a giving aspect of art that people don't always think about. Your focus is what they can give to communities. I totally appreciate you saying that and recognizing that, but I also think it's about 
how artists can give to one another. I think that still needs to happen more. And so it's not only a charge for the public to understand who an artist is today, but it's also a charge for artists to be able to create opportunities and give and fuel and feed this community that we're in. So the artists in this book are more models of what, of a potential engagement. Well, what do you I think, think it's often artists are taught to be creative in every aspect of their lives. And sometimes, though, you have to remind them that it's also the models they create in actually living. It's not just about the work they're putting out into the world. It's actually the communities they're creating. It's like the way they choose to financially support themselves. I mean, these are all parts of the creativity of artists. And that's what they're so good at. And we're kind of in an era where those models are more important than ever. Because the old ways aren't working for everyone. I think we all feel that in different kinds of ways. So artists can start creating models that are a little more innovative, that are going to be challenging the status quo in different ways, or even just sort of wondering, hey, should I only be concerned about galleries? Should I only be concerned about museums? Should I start wondering about all those aspects and start creating questions and working with other people to figure out the answers? I think that's critically important. And I'm wondering what communities are represented in this book. Wendy Redstar, who's from Portland, Oregon, who's Native American artist who's from the Crow Reservation, was raised in Montana. Andrew Zatel, who creates a lot of opportunities for artists in California. And then you have the Dufalo Brothers in Philadelphia, who have a residency. It's called the Recycling Residency. Edgar Arsenault, who's in Los Angeles, who's just amazing and all the different things he does. I mean, each one of these artists creates their different communities around them. Artists as culture producer, are they generating any resources for themselves or is it a community service? Ooh, that's a great question. I think it's both. I think that they're sustaining themselves and I think that also they do have a lot of different, I don't want to say jobs necessarily, but different sources of income. And I think that the definition of an artist today is not what it used to be. It's not so singular. But in this book, I pick people who have way different ways in which that they sustain a creative life. So there's Brett Wallace, who was actually hired by LinkedIn because he's an artist. And he manages about 50 people in that company. And to me, that's just one avenue. Teaching, that's a definitely one I think in some ways even more than the art market is probably one of the most stabilizing forces of artist communities in the world because the market exists in some communities but the reality is almost education and like teaching for artists exists everywhere. Do you know whether it's in a high school or whether it's in a college or something? So I think we have to acknowledge that. Education's always been an integral part of what we do. Residencies for other artists, studios, I mean real estate, all different ways in which artists can produce culture today. What new roles do you see artists taking on in today's political climate? Oh my God. I wish they would run for office. That would I be mean, great. I would love it. I would love to run for office. I'd like for them to be more involved in the political spectrum, in those communities, in the public. I think the role of the artist should be more integrated in the public, and that was a big thing in my mind, a big intention in my mind for the second book, is that I wanted to, actually the main audience for this book really is not the art world, that secondary is the public. And I want to create those bridges where artists can cross over into the public realm. And I think the more we're integrated and accepted, if you will, the more activity there's going to be, 
And I think everybody raises to another level when that happens, when artists are involved. So that's what I can see. I want them to be more involved in the opportunities in politics that are already set and position them. If we had an artist in every public school that was planted there, a practicing artist in every public school, but also maybe in every administration that we have more artists who are active, I think it would just enhance and create more opportunities for everybody. The director of the Mercado Museum in Brooklyn, she became a city councilor. I share Sharon's dream of that. Like, I'd like there to be an artist in residence in every major corporation, organization, exactly. public institution. They created a position of artist in residence in the Immigration Bureau in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, Tanya Bergera. Right. And then, so like, this is an example. That what a great idea. So lots of great ideas when you think about it for what artists can do and the difference they can make in communities. And I'm sharing today with my guest Fresh Art International's latest field expedition to discover culture producers in our region. And our aim is was to venture outside Miami, outside the bubble of the Miami art scene. We travel by car on a sunny day, 30 miles without incident, on Interstate 95, and drove north from Miami to explore the creative life of Fort Lauderdale. So, as I said in our studio today, are Ingrid Schindel and Neil Ramsey. And I'll be honest, I go to Fort Lauderdale to get to the airport. That's my general path. I've made a few visits to Girls Club, a contemporary art venue, and to the art museum, and I've attended a couple of podcaster meetings inside the shared workspace called General Provision. But outside that, no idea, except when I started talking to Neil Ramsey about his desire that I get to know Fat Village. And little did I know that um, Fat Village is described as being near downtown, but it's also only 15 minutes from the airport. (laughs) So that kind of gives you an idea of how easy people from New York could fly in for Fat Village Saturday night art walk. (laughs) Uh, But the district known as Fat Village, Fat actually stands for Flagler Arts and Technology, and it's four blocks of warehouses, this description I have, in an area that houses a number of subsidized tenants. Tell me more about that, Neil. Well, it's a, as you said, it is a four block area. It's an arts designated district, according to the city. Uh, it's a historical warehouse district. So the warehouses were approximately 60 years old. Um, I think it was earmarked to be demolished, but the uh, property owner basically did not want that to occur and therefore bought them and then put them to use. But um, the district currently is how it, it, it's really a curated in terms of business tenant area. And all of the tenants within that arts district or within the district of Fat Village have a creative component, whether they're the barbershop, coffee house, uh, co-working space, small press, they all have an understanding and they have uh, arts integrated within their business model 
And that is not driven by Fat Village. That is why they are tenants in Fat Village. Okay, and I know uh, we went just for one day to see a day in the life of Fat Village and saw a, a marketing agency having a big session, a workshop of some kind. There was an art school. Yes, there's Fat Village Center for the Arts, which is a K through 12 art school. Um, it also functions as a feeder school for the Dash Dreyfus uh, New World School of the Arts. Um, so we do have that there and many other things as well, merchandising, design, and so on. Do you have something to add, Ingrid? Just what's oh. going on in your on your corner? Yeah, we're lucky to be you know in a space where we can really expand. We have a gallery as well as a full print studio doing uh, letterpress, fine art printing, screen printing, and book binding. And I think that there's also uh, a bunch of smaller artist studios and galleries in the space that are worth mentioning. Uh, it's it's a place for people to create and sort of be incubated by the district. To learn more about what was going on there, I returned on a night of an art walk, which I had no idea was going to have that many people. How many people turn out for the art walks generally? Between, I would say, on average, 2,000, uh, depending on weather, depending on season. It's probably between 2,000 and 3,000 people. It's rotating. I mean, they might last an hour, two hours at each visit. But over from 6 till 11 p.m., it's about 3,000 people. And some nights it goes till midnight. Um, it depends when the crowds want to leave. My experience, uh, I would describe, was a roving encounter that took me in and out of studios and exhibition spaces. And one of our first encounters was a band called The Damn Hooligans.
down the street, we ventured into IS Projects, the small press that I mentioned before, and Ingrid's here with us today, but I captured a little field recording with her that night that I'd like to share before we get in deep about IS Projects. It'll give you a little idea of the Art Walk vibe. Tell me what what this machine is, Ingrid. So this is a Chandler and Price letterpress printing press. Uh, this one, the serial number dates it between 1911 and 1915. So it's been in operation since it was made. Uh, the guy that I got it from had purchased it from someone who had been using it for printing raffle tickets. So it had numbering machines. The whole thing was covered in red ink. Uh, as you can still see some of the red ink on there. And um, it's actually lived a really plush life because it's in pretty amazing condition for its age. But these things, they really were made to last. You know, it was before the age of uh, planned obsolescence. I think that, you know, the printers, the people that made these would try to add things to them to make you want to buy a new one. But uh, just the fact that we have something here from you know, somewhere in the early 1910s that's still running is pretty cool. And it does, it's pretty quiet. I'm, it is. I'm trying to capture the sound of it and I'm wondering what... You can hear the clicker going. The clicker right there. The number of prints And then it hits, made. it's got a little hammer on the back of this disc that will hit. Just be careful. With that. That's about all the noise that this one makes. It's pretty quiet. It's this it's a lot louder when there's not, you know, a hundred people in the shop. Uh, we've actually, one of my mentors said she was running the press and her mailman came by to drop off a box and he said, is that, is that presses I hear in the back? And he shows his hand and he's missing three fingers. Oh no! I used to run those in high school! <laughs> And so she always, she always had this um, fantasy about a generation of, of old, old men who used to run these in high school missing fingers and pieces. Because these things, they're not friendly. There's a reason that we don't use them anymore. There's no stopping these things. There's no stopping it once it goes. But um, this one's got a nice variable speed motor. It's got a little brake. I can stop it if I need oh, to. Oh, let's hear that brake. Also very quiet. Also very quiet. Surprisingly <laughs> quiet. These would be used to print uh, wedding invitations, business cards. Back in the day, these would be used to print pretty much everything that you can imagine being printed. Books. Uh, not necessarily newspapers on one like this because it is a smaller format. This one's max form is uh, 10 by 15 inches. So it's called a CMP 10 by 15. Well, that was Ingrid in situ at IS Project. Welcome, Ingrid. Hi, thanks for having me. I want to introduce you properly now. You're the owner and director of IS Projects, and you're based, or you live in Delray Beach. I was you're born from in Delray there. Beach. I live in Fort Lauderdale now. Okay, you're I living never moved back in after the, college. In the city now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you studied fine art printing and book arts at MICA, mm -hmm. the Maryland Institute College of Art, and... I read your specialties, fine art printing, bringing artist books to life, book binding, teaching workshops, setting type, sorting type, cracking jokes. I don't know if we're going to have time for that. <laughs> Carving blocks, screen printing, box making, and making it work, which right obviously you're doing at IS Projects. Yep, we work on it every day. Let's go into de a little more detail about what you do, what happens on the 
day-to-day at IS Projects because it's it's a major player there in the village. Yeah, you know, we, we're really happy to be there, and we have uh, a lot of interactions with, you know, different people coming through the studio. And uh, as far as the day-to-day and things that happen in the studio, it ranges every single day. We're working on a different project, and that's what I love about art making and, and printmaking is that each project, each thing that we're working on is a, spe- is a new and specific challenge. Uh, so we're never really working on the same exact thing. Right now, this month, we just so happen to have uh, four or five like big artist book projects that are going on. But uh, if, you know, if you had talked to us in September of last year, we had three really big wedding suites that we were letterpress printing that were... Uh, you know, every, like I said, every project presents its own unique challenges. Sometimes it's a, uh, you know, I'm going to give you this thing and then I'm not going to talk to you for three weeks. And then, you know, I'm going to give you this other thing and then you're going to need to get it done in a week. And um, so that's, that's the challenge of running a print shop for sure. But we're also lucky to not just be running a job shop, but to be running a shop that um, invites other people in to use our equipment, to take workshops, to, um, learn the art forms and continue to practice them. That was a really important thing when I opened the studio was making sure that it was a space where people could learn the craft and also uh, realistically continue to practice the craft. Right now, all you have in South Florida as far as places to learn printmaking are degree programs. And people can't uh, don't necessarily want to enroll in a degree program to learn one specific craft. And uh, once they're out of that degree program, they no longer have a, a place to practice. Uh, until we came along, of course. Now we can provide that space for people. And what did I read about? What are your nocturnal activities? <laughs> you have something in there. <laughs> what goes on at night over there? Oh, man, it's usually me working <laughs> by myself like a crazy person, uh, sewing books long into the night. And that's how it's always been. Uh, the The name Nocturnal Press, which is the name of our commercial side, uh, came from one of my mentors. I was, I you know, I told her multiple times that I had been in the studio until five or six a.m. Uh, printing business cards or sewing books or whatever. And she said, "You, if you ever have a press, you have to call it Nocturnal Press," and that stuck. And so that's what uh, we call our commercial side uh, for commission printing and boutique items. So where do people go to find out how to get involved there to take a, a workshop or become an intern or? You have an artist residency program, too. We do have an artist residency program that's sort of in its budding phase. Right now, um, we select our residents based on artists that we're going to show in our gallery. Uh, and we're actually revamping our gallery program for 2018. So there will be a lot more information about that on our website very soon. Um, as far as you know, finding out more information, you can check out our website at isprojectsfl, as in Florida, dot com. Uh, we also have an opportunities tab where we just posted a couple new job listings we're looking to fill. So if mm. anyone's out there and wants to uh, get really involved, uh, check that out. I was reading that you have something coming up in November that is uh, really exciting for you. Yes, it's the Small <laughs> Press Fair, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, each year we you know, title it by the, the year that we're in. So this is SPF 17. Last year was our inaugural year of SPF 16. We're super excited this year. We're hoping it's going to be, not hoping, we know it's going to be even bigger and better than it was last year. It was such a wild success. Uh, you know, you, you spend the entire year planning and, and getting things ready and talking to people and getting people involved. And then 
uh, the day comes and you're like, oh, man, I really hope people come. But a lot of people came. It was great. And so this year, uh, we're going to be bringing people from farther and wider and more diverse backgrounds. Uh, we'll have lots of workshops leading up to it. All of that can be found out on um, the IS Projects website or the SPF website, which is spf-ftl.com. We also have our exhibitor applications open now, so we're happy to have anyone that works in multiples. The nice thing about the title Small Press Fair is that it opens it up. It's not just a zine fair. It's not just a print fair. It's not just a book fair. It's anyone that's working in sort of the, the printed multiple, and that can be anywhere from you know, really fine art etchings to photocopy zines that are sharing ideas about fruits. Um, you know, there it really runs the gamut of different print media. And so I'll list what I was reading would be those people involved or bringing books to the table or print projects would be artists, printers, booksellers, publishers, mm -hmm. authors, poets, bookmakers, designers, zinesters, Absolutely. And on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So bring the energy on to Fort Lauderdale for that. It sounds pretty exciting. I want to take us back to the Art Walk experience now because after I talked to you, I went around the corner and there's a barber shop called Monarch's Cut and Shave. Mm -hmm. And they were offering tastings of rum <laughs> distilled in Florida along, and they had a guy outside painting. And then there were these craft markets with really cool projects, very young hula hoops. There were there were candles. There were there was jewelry. There was all kinds of uh, food trucks, Soaps, and fashions. what else? Soap. Soap. Fashions. Mm -hmm. That's all right. Sorts, Clothing. Uh, there was a gluten free baker, which we had quite a conversation with, who also printed T-shirts. Yeah. A very young, creative energy in those. Uh, little market areas that I liked. And we ended up coming upon another street performance with Miami-based Afro Beta that had made its way to Fort Lauderdale for this event.
thank you for having us here. Yeah, at Fat Village. And uh, we're not going to ask you for tips. My name is Kusi Amador. I play with Afrobedo. We're here today in Fat Village. It's our first time here, but it's really amazing. Street party performance, which is what I like best, is being on the grounds, not on a stage with people and very close uh, in close quarters. It feels nice. Um, but I wanted to mention so you knew that this really unique piece I'm wearing is made by a Fat Village artist. Her name is Case Armstrong, K-A-Y-C-E. Armstrong and um, her brand's called Art of Shade, which is very appropriate. Art of Shade. Art of Shade. Yeah, very well, appropriate so here for fantastic. Miami and the heat. Well, welcome to the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we're talking about the contemporary art scene in Fort Lauderdale. Just a piece of it, actually. And we heard from Kuchi Amador of Afro Beta one of the groups that performed at a recent art walk in the warehouse district known as Fat Village. My next guest on the air is Neil Ramsey. Hey, Neil. Hello. I want to give you a proper introduction as well. Neil is degreed in economics and finance. He's the founder and director of Arts Up Concepts, a not-for-profit space specializing in aerial installations, I decided to call them. Consulting director at Fat Village, he has many roles that he plays over there. Tell me how you, a businessman, got involved in culture production. Hmm. Well, first, I could say if you want to scrub yourself of the title or the image businessman, get involved in the arts. Um, how did I do that? Um, well, I followed my passion and purpose. I had a long history of since a child being involved and enjoying the arts and uh, architecture being my very, very first study and interest. So it's, you know, after many years of corporate grind, if you want to call it that, and then spending many years in the startup uh, early stage environment and consulting in that area, I, you know, just followed something that I enjoyed. It really started out with uh, being a spectator, showing up, enjoying the Miami art scene, the South Florida, Palm Beach, I go to New York and various other places for art. And it just got to the point where um, I enjoyed it, I immersed myself in it, and if there's, it's the solution finder in you, which is, you know, uh, from a business and a consulting background, you don't, you have this lens where you look at things and you, you do analysis very, very quickly. And um, if you find an area where you think that something may be improved or not necessarily improved, but something could be added to, and it may have value, you will, it's the, the spirit, or I, go, I guess I have a slight entrepreneurial spirit in me, and that's how I... How come Fort Lauderdale? Why not Fort Lauderdale? That was actually, <laughs> that was more of the essence there. I'll tell you why Fort Lauderdale, though. Um, I would skip Fort Lauderdale, historically. It was not somewhere where I would go for a cultural experience, or especially in contemporary art. It's not known for that. And uh, I really got to the point, and it's just, you know, without getting too philosophical, but instead of complaining about something, I feel if I know better, then I can do something about it. So instead of complaining about not having a particular scene in Fort Lauderdale or not having things that are to my particular liking, I said, well, why don't you do something in Fort Lauderdale? And if everybody or more people decided to do that, 
then we will have a cultural experience there. And I'm not talking exactly the same as anywhere else, but it will develop its own flavor and achieve some sort of level of experience and arts that can be enjoyed without having to do the drive. I mean, I drove from Palm Beach to Miami frequently. Um, people in Miami know they see me frequently. They don't even know that I don't live in Miami. That's how frequent I come here. So art has never been a question of convenience for me. Well, I love how you said uh, architecture was your first love. And when you got involved in Fat Village doing a space, you chose to work on the ceiling. Yes. I uh, love it. Well, it, <laughs> And that was... Ex that was from you know being a teenager, early 20s, studying architecture. I look up a lot. And uh, being in the space, it was an idea that I gave to the property owners was, you know, I look up and one of the fantastic features of a 65-year-old warehouse with uh, Dade County pine ceilings is just that fact. So I suggested or thought, you know, we should make some sort of attention to it. And the long story short, the answer came back was, that's a good idea, you do it. So what have you brought to the space? What have I brought? Yes, to this space. What kind of projects do you present there? I present artists' ideas. So if an artist becomes familiar with the space, either because they visited it or they uh, see it online or word of mouth, and they come to me, uh, what I solicit or their ideas so if it's something that's reasonable feasible and they really put thought into the treatment of the space so it is a site-specific site responsive then i will go ahead with the project i will tell you going forward that that part of it is pretty much taken care of i mean like you know I, I enjoy different different things so now artists are looking at other forms of programming and utilizing other ideas and i'm doing that out of my advocacy so uh it's not just the resident i call them resident artists because it is a massive project the space is almost six thousand square feet and it's usually one artist or a small group so uh, there are other things that will come into it and so music dance performance uh you name it um i take proposals for it and all i try to do is facilitate what the artist's vision is and not it's not necessarily putting my idea or creative exp expression over that and just purely giving you what the artist wants to express. I could see that happening. And let's talk about what I've just experienced in your space. Um, this summer, I recorded a conversation with the architect Maria Faisano. Based in Panama, she created the installation that's suspended in the space right now with elements designed to evoke earth, water, fire, and air. She was born in Panama City. She's an international architect. She studied here in Miami, and she's back working in her home country. I went to school here in Miami. Uh, I graduated from University of Miami, the School of Architecture. And uh, yes, it's been, it's been quite a journey. I've done a lot of artworks. Um, different settings and I was approached by Arts Up to do this and it's been beautiful working here with everyone, getting to know everyone as well. Let's describe for our listeners what they would see in the space. So it's sacred geometry what they would see. Um, so it has to deal more with physics than anything else. So when you decompose matter it comes down to the primal essence of what we are made of 
and we're made out of sacred geometry and it follows as well in visually it's matter and also sound out of a happy drum. I've played that everywhere, New York, California, you name it, everywhere. It's your instrument, you carry it with you. It's one of the many, yes. So music is part of your practice as an architect? Yes, absolutely. As a human being more than anything, yes. It's important to connect back to nature and that's what I'm trying to do with this piece. That's why all the materials are made out of bamboo. The sacred geometry that you see in the piece, it's made out of bamboo and rope. So it's trying to keep it within an organic uh, sort of context. And where were you when you created these pieces? When you oh, I was in South America. Them? I was in South America when I conceived the idea for this. This is where everything kind of happened, and then I made them out here in a, in a farm, actually, that uh, might be open to artistic retreats later down the line. What's your goal with people's experience of the space? It has to do a lot with parallel realities, which is the name of the piece. It's kind of like a radio. If you pick up on different frequencies as a human being, you're able to perceive many things. Like right now, you can hear a bird, you know? But then you can also hear that sound from the background music. And the gravel of the train tracks. And gravel and the of people the people talking. People talking. Everything becomes an atmosphere, you know? And we're part of all of it. All of it. This embracing curiosity more than anything. On Saturday night, a young opera singer animated the space that Maria had designed. Her name is Shanna Nolan Gundry. She's an American mezzo. She studied at FIU, and she's performed with the New York Philharmonic, the Florida Grand Opera, and sometimes even done musical theater. This summer and over the next few months, she's presenting a four-part series titled La Femme, or Woman, in which she presents four female archetypes, the temptress, the mother, the wise woman, and the innocent. Here's what Shanna had to say about her work. Thank you for sharing that with Thank us. Thank you. This is a non-traditional setting for it your music. It is, it is, but it's a beautiful one. What inspired you to do this project here? Actually working with some of Fat Village's artists in another non-traditional setting and meeting everyone here and just really being inspired to go beyond what I usually do in, on stages and in traditional operatic settings and concert stages and really open up opera back into being a creative, innovative, living art form. That's accessible to, the, to a general yes. public. Yes. Share with me the songs that you sang. The first piece was the Habanera from Carmen which is obviously a very recognizable piece and one that I sing a lot. In this setting, it, I think, becomes fresh and new again.
second piece was a frequently unperformed aria from Cenerentola Rossini's Cinderella. Uh, there's a lot of flashier arias in, in the piece. That one's always been one that's really close to my heart. One after that um, is called Der Schoden des Mädchen, Death and the Maidens by Franz Schubert. And that is actually a standalone art song. He wrote about 600 of them. He's one of the most prolific songwriters of uh, all time, let alone the century that he was from. was Stay With Me from Into the Woods, which is actually a musical by Stephen Sondheim. It's one, he's one of my favorite composers. It's one of my favorite shows. The Witch is one of my favorite all-time characters. It's just- You were a, the witch. Yes. And most people are like, oh, you don't want to be the witch. I'm like, you don't know the witch is so amazing and transforms and such a juicy part. is also a, a very recognizable one called O Mio Babino Caro and it's by um, Giacomo Puccini from Gianni Schicchi. It's a fairly recognizable tune because everyone sings it and it's really beautiful. It's not typically one that I sing.
where do you hope this takes you? One of the wonderful things about this space and this area is the authenticism that everyone here has and how things just happen in a very organic fashion and I love that. So I wouldn't even hope to put any artificial constraints on what we could do because most likely where we go is not where I would expect. <laughs> Good morning. You're listening to the Fresh Art International Show streaming live from Jolt Radio in Miami. The last voice you heard was Shanna Nolan Gundry talking about her performance project in the Arts Up space in Fort Lauderdale district known as Fat Village. I'm thrilled now to share another aesthetic expression, a conversation about a very different performance that took place in Fat Village two weeks ago. Something you might not expect. Swedish-born Jenny Larson is a choreographer behind the collective performance project she titled Searching for Arctic Winter. Searching for Winter is a quest that might seem really odd in a tropical context. I find the project especially intriguing given the fact that I just recently explored the far north of Norway. You may find the topic refreshing considering it's summer in Florida. Your latest performance was in a warehouse in Fat Village, and that is actually the location that we're exploring on our radio show today so i thought it'd be really interesting to talk about how fat village which is this warehouse district in fort lauderdale how did fat village become the site for your work we have an annual performance festival called the nerve the warehouse where i presented uh, searching for arctic winter um, is one of the at least two of the Fat Village projects uh, spaces. And um, I mean, it's just this beautiful sort of blank canvas where you can, I feel like anything is possible in these, in these warehouses. They're, they're very, very nice. I feel like they have a very nice vibe. I feel the same way I experienced the art walk for the first time last night and a performance in one of the spaces was just so beautiful. One thing I thought was very important for this conversation was to talk about the girls club. They've been an anchor in that community and they're the ones that commissioned several projects that you've done, correct? Yes, they have. They have been extremely supportive. Uh, and that's also a great, great team to work with. I'm, I'm really um, appreciative of um, of that relationship. And yes, so this was part of their offsite programming for this year, 2017. And um, I mean, we could really have chosen any site in Broward County, 
but um, I, I keep returning to Fat Village. There was also a great uh, collaboration between uh, Girls Club and Fat Village and, and me as an artist. I'm wondering about uh, In Search of Arctic Winter, let's talk about that one specifically, because here we are in the tropics. You're from Sweden. I know your work evokes your personal history and the environment in which you grew up, and this is certainly no exception, but to bring the a sense of the Arctic Circle into this tropical environment, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. How you evoke that sense of the winter is through sound and, of course, the gestures, the costumes. Mm-hmm. Of, of different soundscapes. I had one uh, where there was a lot of um, snowstorms, blizzards, strong winds. Another sound score with a lot of feet walking in the snow uh, or on the ice. make it cold in the space? No. Did you leave it as hot as it was outside and and everyone inside was meant to just be transported by what they were seeing? (laughs) The audience, they were just sweating. (laughs) (laughs) And so were the uh, performers. And so it was really surreal because my two dancers were were dressed in complete snow gear and ski goggles and and everything. Um, And the and they had to act like they were they were shaking and sh- shivering from from being super cold and you know we had all these images that we were working with and while the audience was sitting there uh, like swatting mosquitoes and, and sweating. <laughs> I get the extreme difference the Arctic versus the tropics, but for yourself and your own personal experience with winter and why it's important for you to to talk about it through your work? Um, I don't know if it, if it was an extension of what I worked with uh, in the Everglades because what came out of that residency was uh, this short film called Home that talks about what's been disappearing and what has changed and what is shifting and what, what's happening to the Everglades through my lens, obviously. Um, and I did some writing uh, based on that as well. And in in this project, I'm I'm looking at the snow that starts disappearing, and without the snow, you know, the what's left is just the darkness. Uh, in the winters up in the Arctic Circle, when there is no sunlight out during the winter, if you don't have the snow reflecting the light of the moon and sort of lighting up the landscape, uh, all that's left is just blackness. It's just darkness. And it's a really scary thought. I mean, it's a, it's a very scary uh, 
idea, obviously, of, of these weather changes. So it, it really talks about that just as much as it talks about my personal relationship to winter. So the global experience of climate change. Yeah, totally. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're live streaming on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. We just took you to a winter land, the Arctic winter, with Swedish-born choreographer Jenny Larson in a project she presented last month at Fat Village in Fort Lauderdale. Many thanks to our studio guests today, both our culture producers in Fat Village, Ingrid Schindahl. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Neil Ramsey. It's been fun. It's been great. And all the other sounds we were able to share with you show you the diverse experiences of aesthetics, sound, and performance in Fat Village. Who knew? (laughs) If you like what you're hearing, let us know at Fresh Art INTL and at Jolt Radio. I invite you to subscribe to our podcast where you'll find over 100 episodes. Visit freshartinternational.com, check us out on social media platforms, and follow us. Thank you for listening. Join us every Wednesday morning on joltradio.org for contemporary art talk.